African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning to you, everybody. It's the 3rd of May, 2021. Welcome to African Dialogue. We listen, you're listening to us from the DSTV Audio Bouquet. We're on Channel 802, or you're live streaming us on our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Ayanda Mkwanazi, and together with uh, Benjamin Moshadama and Tidi Malomaka, we'll take you through the next hour. Coming up on the program after the break, we're looking at COVID-19 vaccines in Africa. The latest, of course, in South Africa is that the Pfizer uh, batches arrived at the Oartambo airport yesterday. And uh, just really, what is the, the cause of the delay uh, in procuring vaccines for, for the continent? They are much needed, yet there's so many delays. There are um, people that are also in need of these vaccinations. The economies of the, of the continent are really dependent on on the vaccine procurement. So we just look at the latest on the vaccine front with our two guests. We're looking at vaccination, uh, the vaccination program on the continent. How far are we? Are we on track? What is really happening? Well, South Africa has the highest number of COVID-19 cases on the African continent with more than 50,000 reported deaths. The economic cost of the pandemic is evident on the streets and healthcare facilities have been under considerable strain during the waves of the pandemic. Just over 300,000 people have, have received their jabs in South Africa. However, the country's rollout uh, is proceeding at a pace much slower than expected. The government has been criticized for not actively engaging in vaccine procurement through other avenues at an earlier stage. To help us with the discussion, we joined on the line by Obi Sese. He is the Africa COVID-19 lead at the Institute for Global Change and he joins us from Banjul in the Gambia. Good morning to you, Obi, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. We're also joined by Dr. Aslam Dasuz, the convener with the Progressive Health Forum. Thank you once again for giving us your time, Dr. Dasuz. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Let, let's start with the latest news here in South Africa, Dr. Dasu, with the latest uh, doses received from the Pfizer vaccine on Sunday. Does this bring us a step closer to our target? Uh, I think every dose of vaccine uh, will do that. You know, however, the pandemic doesn't sit on our timetable. And uh, there is an absolute necessity to accelerate vaccination uh, for entire populations uh, at this point. Now, the vaccine that arrived from Pfizer is the first from Pfizer that South Africa has procured. I think some 370,000 doses. And to put that into perspective, in order to reach uh, the target of 40 to 45 million people vaccinated uh, by early next year, we are going to have to vaccinate of the order of about 250 to 300,000 people per day. So that puts some perspective 
on the amount received last night. Now, we hope that this is the first of uh, many deliveries of both Pfizer and J&J, we are told, which has been procured by the government. Um, we are way behind, and uh, they can't come in too soon. Looking at um, the criticism that government has received in, in procuring the vaccine and the delays, are, are all these um, points justified, Dr. Dassou? Well, if you consider that the rest of the continent, forget the rest of the world, just taking a look at the continent, we have uh, South Africa's ranks way down on the list in terms of numbers vaccinated. Um, and, you know, I mean, Morocco is, is, is uh, by great orders of magnitude ahead of us, uh, having vaccinated, I think, up to a quarter of its population by now, and a number of other countries, including Eswatini, right here on our border, you know, small kingdom, very poorly resourced, is also way ahead. So I think that tells a story. I think also that the the fact that South Africa simply put its uh, eggs in the COVAX basket last year without recognizing the need to engage in bilateral negotiations for greater vaccine supply has left us in this situation. We've had one or two coincidences, such as the AstraZeneca vaccine, the million doses we received, and on the day we received them, you know, we found out that they weren't as effective in in preventing mild and moderate disease, and the government decided to abandon the one million doses and has subsequently sold it off to other African countries. And we now only have the J&J Sisonke trial of 500,000 doses, which last week was resumed after an extraordinary pause of two weeks following the vanishingly small number of clotting side effects experienced by some patients in the United States. So I think there's a number of moving parts here that don't all necessarily speak to the same mechanism. But again, one must remain hopeful that we will get sufficient numbers of vaccine in. We are in the trough uh, in terms of in terms of these waves of pandemics, and now would be the ideal time for mass vaccination rollout. Obi, what do you what do you think of that? I mean, if you look at Africa as a continent, and um, the inequalities and the resources are not also equally uh, shared. Do you think that, uh, or how much of an impact does that have when you have to procure vaccines for so many countries? struggling to hear because there's a lot of background a lot of background talking um, from your end in the studio but I, I think what you were asking me was um, what my view is of the sort of um, inequalities of vaccine access yes. and rollouts across across Africa correct correct yes I mean um, it's it's always been coming um, last year before the vaccines were announced the discoveries were announced we wrote a paper um, entitled um, a vaccination plan for Africa, where we started to highlight some of the challenges that are likely to be faced by countries who are going to be contending with rolling out what is likely the largest vaccination program in their history. Um, as the doctor just pointed out, there is a combination of factors that 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 provide significant challenges for Africa. We all know about difficulty of accessing the vaccines in the first place, um, but there are other issues around planning operational logistics and rollout 
that um, not every country has been uh, has been up to speed with as they should. Typically, you should start planning for your vaccination before you even order the vaccines, because you need to map out your demographics. You need to know who is where. So then your your strategy for enrolling vaccines according to different um, aspects of your demographics um, can be affected. Um, now, South Africa has had um, a lot of um, uh, bad luck, if you like, because they did uh, do some work to um, buy a significant amount of vaccines, the AstraZeneca, um, the Johnson & Johnson. But then the uncertainties around the efficacies of these vaccines versus various strains has led to sort of delays in the rollout. But this is something that we're seeing across Africa. There's a question of A, your access to the vaccines, B, to what extent the vaccines get um, affected by emerging variants, and then thirdly, your logistical capabilities uh, to unroll it. South Africa is a very big country with very, very challenging demographics. Um, and so uh, I, I, I sort of, I, I, I shy away from being very blaming of governments because nobody has got this quite right around the world just yet. Um, there are a few notable exceptions like Rwanda and elsewhere. Um, but it's a real challenge for South Africa, and um, yes, we just we hope that they will they will ramp it up. I do believe that as the process unfolds, you're likely to see more efficiencies being introduced into the process. Another another thing that we are seeing, Obi, is um, how some countries are hoarding the vaccines. How far can the World Health Organization go to to um, pressuring countries or influencing countries uh, where they should invest their vaccines? Countries need to realize around the world, the way they have handled COVID from the beginning to now has been very uh, uh, suboptimal. Uh, nobody's safe until everybody's safe. This idea that you have countries like Canada who are hoarding several times the amount of vaccines they need for their population, even if you, you vaccinate all of your population, if you allow countries in parts of Africa and other parts of the world to go unvaccinated, then you are running a risk, as we already see, that any mutations of the virus that will emerge in those unvaccinated populations might actually make your vaccines um, uh, pointless. They might not work. So it's not just in uh, Africa's interest um, that these countries do not hold vaccines. It's in their own interest. Now, a lot of pressure is being put already via WHO, via a number of other people, uh, other organizations, via the Africa Union, the Africa CDC, to push for these countries that are holding vaccines to let them uh, go. There is be we are beginning to see some countries making moves around uh, along those ends. I think the British have said they will hand over some of their vaccines. I think the Americans are, no are also starting to talk about it. But there is significant and very welcome and positive uh, momentum towards not just releasing vaccines that are being hoarded, but also around intellectual property rights to allow the IP to be transferred for these vaccines to be, to what extent possible, to be manufactured elsewhere outside of the current uh, vaccination sites. South Africa has managed to secure at least one or two contracts to participate in the current uh, COVID vaccines, which is positive, and we'll hope to see more. That's the voice of Obi Sisei. He's the Africa COVID-19 lead at the Institute for Global Change. We're calling him from Banjul in the Gambia. And we're also speaking to Dr. Aslam Dasu. He's the convener with the Progressive Health Forum. Let's go for a quick break and we'll continue after that. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective.
and every one of us, there, there is, is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of, of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, be African, be African perspective. perspective. Welcome back to African Dialogue. A reminder that in about 25 minutes' time, we'll get an update from the Econ Desk, followed by the Sports News. And at 12 o'clock, we've got Africa Midday coming up. On the program today, we're looking at uh, vaccines in Africa, COVID-19 vaccines, and um, some of the challenges that the continent is facing in procurement and the delays that we've seen in South Africa. Of course, the latest here in South Africa is that the first batch of the Pfizer vaccines arrived on Sunday, over 300. 100,000 uh, doses were given to South Africa. And we're speaking to Dr. Aslam Dasu. He's the convener with the Progressive Health Forum, as well as Obi Sisei. He's the Africa COVID-19 lead at the Institute for Global Change. Dr. Dasu, you know, before the break, you mentioned some countries that are much smaller uh, than South Africa that are making headway. Uh, you know, you included Swaziland there. Let's look at Malawi um, with the story with them are now uh, destroying these expired COVID-19 vaccines uh, and the WHO saying that they shouldn't be destroyed, but they should be used. The, the contradiction there. Yes, I think this is another aspect uh, that we should touch on. First, let me just say that I completely agree with my brother over there in, in Banjul. He's um, highlighted very important points, including the emergence of variants, uh, the vaccine nationalism that's at play, the difficulty of supply. In addition, what we need to consider is exactly what you're asking. Uh, and this is increasing vaccine hesitancy that we are observing. Now, there's lots of reasons for this, but in the in the recent past, what seems to have spurred it on has been the irregular, uneven application of vaccine programs. So when you have a pause, for example, like they did in the U.S. for the Johnson & Johnson uh, rollout, the numbers of people who, who, who didn't pitch up for their second shot of vaccine for Pfizer and Moderna, where they had taken the first, seemed to just escalate. We see similar patterns here. The University of Johannesburg recently released a report that when we, two weeks ago, paused the J&J &J rollout, which is very small, uh, the number of people who are uncertain whether they would take the vaccine also increased. So this is a real problem. So what you're seeing in Malawi is probably an extreme example of that. And it's really a pity that they're planning to destroy, I think, the 16,000 or odd doses of, of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is absolutely unnecessary in, in, in our view. Look, we, we know that all the vaccines work. They all work to prevent serious disease, hospitalization, and death. So that much is common cause. They have different efficacies, and these efficacies are mediated by, you know, emerging variants. And and, 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 um, and and different demographics, but they work. And I think we have, as certainly as health workers and as health professionals, have to just keep on uh, emphasizing 
the need for people to be confident in taking the vaccine. When you consider Dr. Tedros of WHO saying that in the last week, we had more infections globally than the first five months of the pandemic. You have to understand that we are deep in the grip of this pandemic. We are nowhere near exiting it. And, and the horror story that is India right now is exemplifying that. They're in their second wave. We've had our second wave, which was terrible here in South Africa. The third wave, which is anticipated as the season changes, and um, you know, as, as we expect numbers to increase, um, you know, may be as severe, if not more severe, than the second wave. Uh, we know that we do have a variant here that is extremely um, virulent, that transmits very quickly, uh, and so on. And that's what drove our second wave. But and, and also what reduced efficacy of the AstraZeneca vaccine in preventing mild and moderate illness. But we know that they haven't, these variants haven't yet uh, reached what is known as escape velocity, so to speak, escaping the vaccine uh, immunization cover for severe disease, for hospitalization and death. So the case is clear that we have to get as much vaccine as possible and vaccinate the greatest number of people in the shortest possible time. Now, governments have a, have, have a very powerful role to play, of course, in all of this. Uh, our government here in South Africa has decided to be the sole procurer of vaccines. Now, there's two problems with that. One is that they don't employ the full range of procurement capacity that a highly industrialized private sector here has to obtain vaccine, additional vaccine supplies, and also the, the difficulty of a, of a government moving rapidly is pretty evident to see. We knew vaccines were available already in the, in the, in the last quarter of last year. We made no move to acquire these. So we are now on the back foot, hoping to get vaccine from wherever we can, but still confining it to sole procurement by the government. If we want to be at a place where we have some, some chance of exiting the emergency phase of the pandemic, we can't just think at South Africa. We certainly have to think regionally because the variant that is prevalent in South Africa is also prevalent in our neighboring country and would have been better for a regional response on a vaccine rollout, procurement and rollout. Uh, we would have had much more, a much greater economies of scale and we would have had a far better chance of getting the supplies that we needed as a regional bloc rather than as a single country competing with others. So there's a lot to be done and a lot of new thinking to be applied. But being in the grip of the pandemic as we are is a real concern. We do have this lull, as I mentioned, and all stops should be pulled out right now to get as many people vaccinated to attenuate the effect of the anticipated third wave and perhaps the emergence of new variants as the force of infection increases. India, for example, has got three variants that are driving the surge there. And as, this, as they delay their own vaccination, as your news report said, the likelihood of more variants emerging is high. And those variants will travel across the globe. So we're in a very difficult position globally. And I think that, you know, there's, there's really only one option now apart from maintaining our NPIs 
and that is to vaccinate as many people in the shortest possible time. Opie, what are your thoughts to to that? Um, The same question, just looking at uh, countries like Malawi um, destroying these much-needed vaccines. I mean, Dr. Dasu is saying that all stops need to be pulled now to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Well, um, the the doctor is quite right. It comes back to my initial point, which was that um, countries globally, not just in Africa, have um, not actually you could argue that africa is better compared to the rest of the world have not cooperated um, in fighting uh, corona that has uh, been manifested in how we our initial first response to the virus and it is also being manifested uh, manifested um, now um, as we're dealing with vaccines now i do agree that you need a coordinated approach not just in planning um, not just in ordering um, but also in your, your sort of uh, strategies that you're using for fighting the virus. Um, again, back to the point, um, closing your borders and putting up the shutters, uh, disease security is not the same as physical security. Closing the border very likely doesn't mean that you're not going to get um, any variants or any of the, of the pathogen into your population because, as we know, in most parts of Africa, borders are not clearly defined all across and people crisscross borders without even knowing it sometimes. So whilst you may close your borders, you don't actually achieve 100% disease security as a result of that. Um, the way we see it is that there are four main pillars towards a, f- a successful vaccine rollout. Um, the first of this is coordination, whole of government coordination, um, and also coordinating with other partners. Now, in terms of the procurement of vaccines, we've had a lot of cooperation in Africa through um, the Africa CDC, the African Bank, Africa institutions have been leaning in to support African countries to get vaccines. But even when you get them, before you get them into your country and when you get them into your country, you need to be coordinating across your ministries of transport, your military, your private sector, your public sector, in order to get the the needles into arms. Secondly, you need a tailored delivery approach, by which we mean you need to have mapped out the demographics of your population. You say you want to um, uh, vaccinate um, healthcare workers first. That tends to be easier because healthcare workers are typically aligned to a particular health facility, which will almost certainly have um, transport access and some some form of, of um, cold chain storage variable, but some form. When you start getting into trying to vaccinate the most vulnerable members of your population, like old people, like people who have um, underlying conditions, these people might not always be able to come to healthcare centers. So you have to take the vaccine out to them. That affects what sort of cold chain logistics you need. That also means that you need to know who is where and how you're going to get which vaccines to them. A third problem we've got, and I think the doctor hinted at this, about people taking first shots and they're not turning up for the second shot. Now, this speaks a little bit to me, apart from the hesitancy, it also speaks to your, your, your digital data and technology infrastructure. You need to be able to record what vaccines you have where, who has been vaccinated when, and follow up to see what any um, secondary uh, clinical uh, um, uh, manifestations there might be after the vaccine, to check its efficacy, to check for side effects, to see how people with certain comorbidities are affected by it. So you need data. Now, the fourth point is perhaps the first one, which is proactive communication with the public. Now, uh, towards the end of last year, there was a study done which suggested um, that something like four in five Africans were willing to take the vaccine 
but the willingness ranged from 54% to something like 94%. What we have found is that as the epidemic has unfolded and the information space has become more and more crowded with disinformation, conspiracy theories, and quite frankly, hasn't been helped by the lack of coordination by international healthcare regulatory authorities and national ones. Because one day you hear one country saying it's not safe, the other one saying it's safe. You're not quite sure where the medicine starts, where the medicine stops, and where the, uh, the political concern starts. Now, if you have um, an information space where people are spreading misinformation about a vaccine, and then you have governments around the world halting and starting and halting and starting, and there is no consistency on the science, then it's perhaps not surprising that we start to see the issues of vaccine hesitancy uh, showing. Now, in many countries in, in Africa, for example, in Gambia, where I am, in Sierra Leone and some of the countries around here, the clinical manifestations of corona have not been as significant or severe as they have in the West or parts of Africa, North Africa, or perhaps even as you guys are contending with um, in South Africa. So one of the things driving vaccine hesitancy around these parts of the world is we just don't know enough people that have been severely hospitalized or died from corona. So people don't actually see the need to be protecting themselves from the risk. This is why government has a huge role to play in sensitizing people before the vaccines come, whilst the vaccines come. And as the doctor said, we are on the back foot, but we need to catch up very fast. The message, the messenger, and the medium you use to disseminate the message are all significant factors in whether you can connect with people and influence their behaviors. Um, there's a lot of work to be done around this, and uh, we need to move it fast. The general, the general uh, belief people tend to have is, oh, the problem Africa has is not enough vaccines. Well, that's part A of the problem. Part B of the problem is getting the needles into people's arms. That's your logistics, and then the willingness to take it. So in a number of countries in Africa, we've seen that they don't actually have a problem of not enough vaccines, even though they don't have enough for the population. But what they had already, people are just not turning up to take them. So that is another factor that seems to be running under the watermark that we're not talking about enough. In countries, some countries where they have vaccines, we just haven't had people turning up to take them. So just to cap off, I would say there are four key, four key elements, which is starting with um, coordination within government, across government, with um, private sector, tailor your delivery approach for efficiency, use data and information technology to be able to track and trace who's getting vaccine where where your variants are and all of those things and then communication with the public well let's hold it right there gentlemen when we come back let's look at uh, some more solutions uh, touching on as well what dr Dassou said about south africa being the sole procurer i mean do we need to start looking at getting the private sector on board if we're to get on back to our feet and back on track and these four pillars that you've you've also mentioned here uh, proactive communication coordination i think there's still some something that uh, dr Dassou can also add to the conversation Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. 
across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. Welcome back to African Dialogue. We're in our last part of the conversation here, looking at uh, COVID-19 vaccine procurement on the continent. And we're speaking to Dr. Aslam Dassou. He's the convener with the Progressive Health Forum, as well as O.B. Sasei. He's the Africa COVID-19 lead at the Institute for Global Change. Dr. Dassou, you know, at this point, if South Africa is to speed up its rollout, um, what three areas should the government focus on? Uh, well, let me let me start by saying that that was a very useful set of pillars that uh, Obey outlined there. Mm. I completely concur that that you know those are necessary approaches that every country should take. We, you know, in South Africa, of course, we don't have the great difficulty of of reaching people. The infrastructure is there; it may not be very well coordinated, but rolling out the vaccine through the public and the private health sectors, and the private health sector, you may know, is, is quite well developed here, um, and, and uh, getting the, the vaccine out to, to, to the whole country is, is, a, is a very manageable undertaking. So that's not really our problem at this point. Of course, there might be issues as the rollout begins in earnest that will, will come to light. But overall, there isn't that much concern about that. What there is concern about is vaccine supply. So when you start a vaccination program, the first thing to ensure is security of vaccine supply. And that is where the real gap is. I also agree that the, the, there has been a, a suboptimal communication strategy with the population. However, I think that has now been overtaken by, by events both here and abroad, and people are beginning to be aware that the pandemic is here for a while still, and that we have to take measures so that life can retain a sense of normalcy at some point. So, so, so that, that communication is being refined. But to come back to the issue really of supply, there's our problem. So when I said that the government is so procurer, no one can actually purchase vaccines for South Africa except the government. Now this is a, a like I said, it's a, it's a it's an it's it's a it's a block in essence to mass procurement. It it narrows the channel for getting vaccines, and you know we are entirely then dependent on what the government is able to procure at any given time. So your vaccination rollout which envisages 250,000 plus people being vaccinated a day, which is doable, is entirely dependent on an, on an uncertain supply. Like I said, we got in 360-odd, 370-odd doses of Pfizer. This is the first vaccine to arrive in the country, apart from the Sisonke J&J trial of 500,000 doses, which was an extraordinary procurement. 
but 360,000, 370,000 doses, as I said, will be enough for one day's vaccination in a full-scale rollout. We have no idea when more vaccine will arrive. You are, of course, aware uh, uh, that Aspen Pharmacare uh, has been contracted by J&J worldwide to produce vaccines uh, of the order of some 300 million doses over the next 18 months or so. And the arrangement is that that, that Aspen, being here in South Africa, will supply most of the African countries with up to 250 million of those doses, with South Africa getting some 30 million of them. Now, today we've heard that the, the, the procurement from Aspen has been delayed because of, of the necessity for safety checks of the batch of vaccine that was brought to Aspen. You, you understand, of course, that Aspen just does full and finish. It doesn't actually manufacture the vaccine itself. That is from J&J's production plants in the U.S. and elsewhere. Now, the plant that produced the, 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 the vaccine, the, the primary vaccine sent to Aspen was in Baltimore, which you might have heard has been shut down because of serious breaches of production uh, integrity and, um, and, and inappropriate vaccine manufacturing uh, processes. So now we have a, a batch of vaccine from that particular plant, which has now been shut down. Aspen has filled and finished these vaccines, but now, of course, there's a delay. So these kinds of eventualities are, are going to be popping up every now and then. You know, a new variant could pop up and suddenly make render a vaccine ineffective. So the longer we delay, the, the more the likelihood of these unforeseen events emerging. I think there needs to be a, in South Africa certainly, um, an expedited rollout because there's really no excuse for it not to be uh, applied here. We don't have a problem of uh, financing the purchase of vaccines at all. The money is there and so is the infrastructure to deliver it. Again, I come down to the to the, to the issue of the security of vaccine supply. If we cannot secure a steady supply of vaccines, any prolonged rollout is inherently at risk. You can't start with vaccinating 250,000 people a day, suddenly run out of vaccine. That is precisely what is happening in India right now with a, with a, with a, with a, with a crisis emerging as a result. Um, and, and how you get on top of it is, is really a huge challenge, certainly for that government. Um, and, and also, it's, in, it's very interesting to note that in India, the, the outbreak is mainly in the north. In southern states like Kerala and so on, they've managed to contain it. But that's because they've always had a very progressive approach to NPIs, to community participation in preventing spread, uh, to community involvement. In, in, in making sure that people were fed properly and, and so on. So I think they have a very different experience in the south of India than they do in the north of India. Again, these are exigencies of vaccination rollouts. Okay. Um, Obi, what are your parting shots to the conversation? Uh, I've got about two and a half minutes left. Just, you know, uh, your, your, how would you summarize um, the conversation and just a way forward? Um, what I would say is that um, it's you're trying to fix a plane 
uh, as it's flying 30,000 feet in the air. Um, you cannot do a post-mortem when the patient is still on life support. Uh, governments uh, will have to do a lot of catching up on the elements that they can control. As the doctor has said, the, um, the operational effectiveness of their rollouts, their ability to coordinate across government with private sector and other countries and agencies, um, their, their ability to deliver this vaccine in a tailored way to the right people and with uh, good information. And they need to double down on the communication. They really need to double down on the communication. Um, those local radio programs, those um, local language programs, every medium where you can reach people. There is no point um, trying to convince people using channels that they don't use. Young people listen to different people. Young people take their news and opinions from different platforms. Um, and so that has to be taken account uh, of. Um, on the policy front, governments have to continue to push to gain more access and it's actually widening the ability to purchase vaccines from just government alone uh, can improve that. But we've also got to realize that the supply is restricted. There's only so many uh, plants producing vaccines in the world and um, only so many that they are producing. We're, all, we're already very worried about India, which is supposed to be the largest producer with their own crisis. How long will they um, be able to continue to supply the rest of the world. But yes, governments need to double down. They need to work on the logistics of their rollout and they need to work on communicating with people to avoid this issue of vaccine hesitancy. That's where we'll leave it with you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for giving us your time. That's the voice of O.B. Sese. He's the Africa COVID-19 lead at the Institute for Global Change. We're calling him from Banjul in the Gambia. Also, last but certainly not least, Dr. Aslam Dasu is the convener with the Progressive Health Forum. As always, thank you for making time to speak to us. You're most welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much.